All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. You go right on your back having to get you, Barbara. Welcome to Oh the Horror, a podcast where we take a look at classic and modern horror films from an expert and a newcomer's perspective. I'm the expert Rob Holmes, and uh, yeah, looks like it's just going to be me. Um, Steve Allman has become extremely busy uh, being a professional podcast producer now. Uh, So he's out in L.A. doing that. Um, We wish him all the best. I know he's probably listening, hopefully, um, if he's got some free time. Anyway, uh, this is going to be kind of a transitional period. Um, I'm thinking about doing probably another 10 episodes of Oh the Horror and then transitioning over to my new podcast, Holmes Invasion, um, because it's just me talking about not just horror, but kind of genre films in general, things from the 1980s, basically movies that I like. Uh, Also, it's going to include lists of films that... You may not have heard of, but you should definitely be seeing. Uh, And we're going to be incorporating things such as, you know, the fact that we're all home. A lot of people can't go to work still. uh, And there's a lot of stuff online. So we're going to find out, you know, some of these, um, you know, like Netflix, Hulu, Shudder, Amazon Prime. We're going to take a look at all these and see, like, what are the best Uh, horror films uh, that you can watch and genre films based on whatever subscription service you have. It was a long convoluted way for me just to get to that. Um, But the movie we're going to be talking about today is called The Final Girls. So you're probably wondering to yourself, Rob, why are you choosing this film as the one to come back to? The Final Girls? Dude, you haven't done a podcast in almost a year. It's been like 10 months. And the first movie that you're going to get back into doing is a PG-13 horror film that takes the piss out of horror films. It's a comedy horror film. Yes, the answer is yes, I am going to, and there's a reason why. A lot of people love this movie, and I think it's good. I think it could be a lot better. This is one of those films where, as I've said in the past, studio interference is a bitch. And this is a prime example. Of, this is a prime example of studio interference fucking up a movie. This film was written to be a piss take of the slasher genre from the 1980s. It was meant to be an over-the-top version of what those films were. It was a ton of sex and a ton of violence. Now, look, you can say, fine, we don't want to have the sex in it because porn exists now. On the internet, and you can find that easily, you know? And that's that's kind of one of the reasons why you don't see it as much in slasher films, because it was something that was um, taboo at the time, you know? And now it's just, it was so commonplace, and, you know, you can find it anywhere, it doesn't matter. So let's strike that one out. The violence. Slasher films are notorious for violence. That's what we remember. We remember the kills. We remember how over the top it is. We remember the gore. We remember that the MPAA used to go out of their way to fuck movies over on a regular basis. All right? They edited the shit out of films, stripping them down to their very core. Some directors were afraid to even get involved with certain franchises, knowing that their stuff would just be completely eviscerated. So now you're telling me, 
that around 2015, and I think this might have been made in around 2012, so you're going to tell me that they're going to just make this PG-13 and cut down the amount of violence because they don't want to have it in their film. It won't make it marketable. Cool, 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 cool. This film had a budget of $4.5 million. Okay? You think $4.5 million, PG-13 R. Wow, this should have made a ton of money in theaters. You know how much it made in theaters? Jack shit. Jack shit. I mean, when I'm when I'm I'm saying this movie made nothing in theaters. If anything, it made me made a hundred thousand dollars. But I can tell you this: as of last year, March 2019, it has made a whopping grand total of 1.3 million in domestic DVD and Blu-ray sales. That's pathetic. Was it worth going PG-13 for that? Was it worth it not getting distribution? No. If they had made the final girls R and gone over the top with it and kept it at around four and a half million dollars, put it in theaters, you will get at least ten million dollars in sales. I mean, look at historically, when you look at R-rated horror that has a low budget, it it's profitable. It is ridiculously profitable. Does does no one remember the years of 1978 through 1989? Are you are you serious? Halloween is a prime example. Friday the 13th is a prime example. Nightmare on Elm Street. All of these movies were low budget and made a ridiculous amount of money. So you would think that the studio behind this would say, you know what? We're going to do that. Especially when the script was optioned by New Line Cinemas, you know? But they want... So, so here's one of the little fun things about this movie. It was optioned by New Line Cinemas. But they wanted to eliminate any deep character moments, right? So they were like, uh, we, we don't want to, you know, we, we want to get rid of this mother-daughter plot, which, by the way, is very important to this film. Um, but they wanted to get rid of that stuff. So then Sony decides to produce it, which, as we know, Sony is going to neuter the shit out of everything. Um, and they're like, we really like this emotional core of the, of the mother-daughter relationship. Um, can you tone down the slasher part? Can we really just make this a mother-daughter story and avoid all the slasher horror stuff that it's pretty much based around? Yeah, that's, that's Sony for you. I mean, remember, Sony, the same people who made that Ghostbusters reboot. And thought it was great. They they thought they did a fantastic job. They didn't. They didn't. So yeah, I'm I'm pissed. Like I'm genuinely angry that this is what keeps happening to films that have a lot of potential to go far. Let's get into a little bit of this film other than me ranting and raving on it. So the final girls, rated PG-13, came out in 2015, one hour, 28 minutes. It is billed as a comedy drama fantasy. Horror is not in there whatsoever, even though the premise of it is about horror films. Huh. So the plot. A young woman grieving the loss of her mother, who was a famous scream queen of the 1980s, finds herself pulled into the world of her mom's most famous movie. Reunited, the women must fight off the film's maniacal killer. That sounds cool, man. Premise alone... Sounds like, holy shit, this woman got sucked into the gory splatterfest that we never got to see from the 1980s. This is going to be absolutely insane. And the director is Todd Strauss-Schulson, who directed episodes of The Inbetweeners, which is not a tame show, and A Very Harold and Kumar Christmas, which was fun. It was a fun movie. 
So the writers of this are M.A. Fortin and Joshua John Miller. You may know Joshua John Miller as an 80s child actor. Uh, he was in Halloween 3, River's Edge, The Willies, Near Dark, Tales from the Dark Side, uh, which was the pilot episode. But most famously, you'll know his father, Jason Miller, who starred in The Exorcist as Father Karras. That's a really cool relationship to horror. And this was actually written and conceived by uh, Joshua John Miller as a way of dealing with the death of his dad. So I think there, there could have been so much more going in with this than, you know, in the final result than what we got. And, and really what it comes down to, in my opinion, is studio, studio interference. Because um, there's a lot of stuff to like in this movie. There, there's a lot of really interesting things. Originally, the script had it where they would not only... Uh, the kids, as they get sucked into this film, um, wouldn't just go through, you know, be like, all right, we're in a horror film, how do we get out? They would start going through these physical and psychological transformations to become these type of characters, to start becoming afraid, be that jock-like character. Um, the women, if they were meant to be like the ditzy ones, the waistlines would shrink, the breasts get larger, you know, like it's very absurd. But then it got to the point where the character of Gertie loved the fact that she was mega hot now. And so she decides to sabotage her friends from getting out of the movie. That sounds like a really cool plot line. There was a lot of hints to other films in this. Billy Murphy, who's the uh, villain of this. The name comes from Billy from Black Christmas, but at the same time, the origin story for him is basically Cropsy from The Burning, if you know that film from 1981. Yeah, it has Jason Alexander, Holly Hunter, and Fisher Stevens. So The Burning was just... It's a great reference to doing this, and when they have the sequel film that they show um, for this character in it as well, it's basically the cover of The Burning. With Cropsy, like the Camp Bloodbath, Cruel Summer, he's holding up the uh, hedge clippers. That's that's basically the poster of the burning. It's fantastic. So, I've talked about a lot of this film without actually going into what it really is. So we start off with Thaisa Formiga. I butchered her name. Uh, playing Max Cartwright. Her mom is played by Malin Ackerman. Uh, she's Amanda Cartwright. She starred as a screen queen of the character of Nancy in uh, Camp Bloodbath back in the 80s. She is still going out and auditioning for stuff, but hasn't really been able to reclaim the glory, I guess, of her, her, of her former, former years. You know, like that, the scream queen era. So people, I guess, don't take her seriously, but she is respected by a lot of people. I mean... Come on, man. We're horror fans. We respect the shit out of the Scream Queens, even if mainstream media might not. Because um, we appreciate everything that they're doing, you know? Like, these movies would not exist without them, you know? So, you see them in the beginning. Um, there's this cute little emotional moment between the two of them, but unfortunately, there's a car accident, and Amanda's killed. This is the first five minutes of the movie, by the way. So then it cuts to three years later. It's the anniversary of her mother's death. Uh, Max is studying with her friends, Gertie and Chris. Um, Gertie is played by Alia Shawkat. And Chris is played by Alexander Ludwig. He was also in a movie called Final Girl, which came out the same year. It is has nothing to do with the Final Girls. Or maybe it came out like two years later. Beside the point, he's in another movie called Final Girl. Not with the... Anyway. 
So Gertie's stepbrother, Duncan, which is played by Thomas Middleditch, he is this horror movie fanatic, I guess. I mean, he seems like he's really into films, but he also plays a complete and utter moron who gets himself into really messed up situations throughout the film in the time that he's in the film. He shows up and he's trying to persuade Max to attend this double feature of Camp Bloodbath and Camp Bloodbath 2. Finally, it's like, all right, fine, I'll do it. She, she'll show up and attend. Um, she's going to go with Chris, you know? Like, this is a thing. She can finally <clears throat> make some moves with this guy who she's interested in. And is obviously he's interested in her. But his ex-girlfriend, Vicky Summers, played by Nina Dobrev, Vicky just shows up there because she's been stalking Chris's social media and decided to, you know, cock block the shit out of Max. Which, whatever. So during the film, somehow the movie theater catches on fire. Um, so while this theater's on fire, instead of going through the exits, they grab a machete prop that someone's brought in and decide to cut a hole through the screen and they step through. And then they wake up in the woods. Yeah, that happens. It's not the most original way to end up trapped in a movie. There's no logic on that. And through this movie, the meta part is there, but the logic seems... It seems like something's been missed with this. Like, there's just something that isn't right. Something that's just slightly off that, that keeps this film from firing on all cylinders, besides the fact that it's PG-13 and lacking the gore that it so needs. All right. So, they wake up in the woods... Still unsure of what happened. They're like, oh, what the hell? Ooh, it's daytime. It's daytime when they left at night. And they wake up in the middle of the woods wondering if they've been drugged or something. And uh, you would think immediately they should be legit freaking the, freaking out. But whatever. I mean, it's a movie and someone wrote this. That's fine. So, the van from Camp Bloodbath. The film shows up. Because uh, we see a trailer of it in the beginning or clips from it. And all of a sudden now we're being reintroduced to those characters in the exact same way. Uh, so we're introduced to Tina, which is Angela Trimber, who is... This girl does one hell of a performance in this film. Once she finds out what Adderall are, holy shit. It's pretty amazing. Um, and then you have uh, Kurt, which is Adam Devine. Adam Devine is... I mean, the guy's funny as shit. Like, pretty much anything he's in, you could give him the worst dialogue in the world and just the way he he delivers it makes it entertaining. It really does. So, they encounter these characters from Camp Bloodbath. They ask for directions. Basically, everyone just stares at them. The van leaves. 92 minutes later, the van comes back. And that's when the group realizes they've been teleported into the movie. It takes, I guess it takes 92 minutes of, of, of being like, hmm, this must be a movie on repeat. I would have thought seeing the characters to begin with, my ass somehow transported into a movie, but whatever. Um, so they come back around again and they say that, hey, we are the new counselors. We're going to go with you there. So they're like, oh, this is awesome. And they join up and this is when uh, Max sees her mom. Because her mom played Nancy, who was one of the uh, <clears throat> main, you know, characters of the original film. 
one of, not the main, she wasn't the final girl. She definitely died because she had sex. Apparently, she has sex with Kurt's character because um, she believes everything Kurt says because that's how she's written. And, uh, yeah, she ends up getting killed. Um, but not in the original film. Now we're going to rewrite history and kind of try and change things. Once they get there, they're like, you know, we're going to let these first couple kills happen. Hey, this is supposed to happen. Um, and at this point, Duncan ends up running into the killer. And he's thinking to himself, wait, the movie has to play out how the movie played out. We're basically just sitting in this world now just watching. The movie will happen the way that the movie happens. Nothing can change the way that the movie happens. He thinks they let the first couple murders play out. And then Duncan is thinking, well, no, no, these, these characters can't hurt me. This character can't kill me because we're not, we're not the characters they go after. We're just spectators. We're just watching. It's like we're not even there. So he attempts to take a selfie with the character uh, Billy Murphy, who is the killer from the film, and ends up getting stabbed with a machete. So now we realize, oh, yeah, no, you can be stabbed. It can happen. And that they're not just passive spectators in this. They are now characters of this film. So, the group starts freaking out. They run off and they decide, all right, well, we need to make sure that Billy doesn't come back here. So we have to stop the cast from having sex. And we have to stop them from doing anything that will cause them to bring about Billy and get killed. So Chris goes after Kurt. So yeah, so Max ends up going and, and talking to her mom, who is Nancy, um, and trying to get her to stay a virgin. Then Vicky sticks with Paula, uh, who is the movie's final girl, because Paula appears and shows up in her, I don't know, like a Mustang or Firebird something. And she's like the badass character. And then you have... Gertie, who stays with Blake, she and Blake start bonding with each other. And you can see this kind of romance blossoming between the two. Um, and then Gertie brings up the topic of Billy Murphy to the counselors. And they all kind of like walk over and sit down like it's scripted. And we start hearing the the flashback to Billy Murphy. Now, what I like about the, the flashback stuff is that anytime you're going into that, the screen melts away. And it looks really cool and the characters freak out. So that kind of, it plays really well um, with the horror tropes in that aspect. So when Gertie brings up the topic of Billy Murphy, the counselors are alerted to the fact that the urban legend of Billy is real and he will actually come to kill him. He's not just an urban legend. So the counselors freak out. Um, Kurt and Paula drive off and then Duncan uh, emerges and he's alive. Uh, but that distracts them and the car swerves and hits a totem pole and Kurt flies out, crashes into the ground and breaks into pieces pretty much, just crushes over himself, breaks his neck and his back and Paula, you know, they're like, oh, oh, Paula's fine. And then her car blows up. <clears throat> so Paula's now dead too. So the final girl's gone. Um, so now they're aware that any character who originally survived the movie can die. So they're basically like, holy crap. Okay, we have to do whatever we can to save everyone. Um, 
So they put Tina in a life jacket and mittens so she'll stop undressing and not be dancing around as much uh, to try and keep her safe. And they decide Max, who's the only remaining virgin, is the new final girl. So they plot to get Billy's machete into her hands so she can be the one who ends up cutting his head off at the end of the film. Meanwhile, Max and Nancy, they bond, which, you know, makes sense because Max is trying to, like, deal with the fact that Nancy is her mom but isn't her mom. Because in this world, while she looks like her mom... She's the character of Nancy, not the actress who's playing Nancy. You know, they start talking and saying like, hey, you know, if you if you survive, maybe you can come back you know, to this world. And, you know, you can be whoever you want to be and you can do these other things. And it's, it's cool. It's like a cool little moment between the two of them. Um, so they decide they're going to booby trap the camp or the cabin uh, and lure in Billy. So by doing this, they have Tina do a striptease. Uh, they also hype her up on... She's on all the drugs at this point. Um, but she panics when Billy gets closer in. She trips over. She basically runs away, trips on this wire, and falls headfirst into a bear trap. Which would have really been cool to see, like an R-rated version of that. You kind of see it hits in, and you're like, oh, I, okay, I guess she's dead. Um Oops. So then Blake, Vicky, and Gertie uh, are also killed fighting off Billy. Blake gets killed first, uh, which Gertie is just devastated by. And then Vicky and Gertie uh, have, I think, a, a shelving unit or something fall over them. And they get trapped. And then Gertie gets stabbed. And then basically Vicky blows up the place. Um, thinking, well, maybe that'll, that'll kill Billy. Obviously, it doesn't. Um, so Chris, Nancy, and Max have escaped. Chris gets stabbed. Billy kidnaps Nancy. Um, you know, Max finds her at the in the movie, like at the barn hideout. Same thing. They fight him. You know, Max gets stabbed. They both escape. Basically, Max is going to die. And Nancy essentially sacrifices herself in order... To have that power of the final girl go into Max, um, which heals her essentially, uh, keeps her from dying and gives her like really good fighting skills all of a sudden. I guess that's how the rules work in this film. And her mom does this dance to Betty Davis Eyes, which was the song she was singing when she got hit by the car and gets stabbed uh, by Billy. This is how the power transfers over. And then she uh, has this fight with him and decapitates him with his own machete. And Chris arrives, they kiss, and the credits start to play. Like, literally, the credits of the movie start to play. Um, and then Max wakes up in the hospital. She's with her friends. And it's weird because Duncan is alive. And he shows his scars. And he's like, yeah, uh, yeah, I guess we're back because they want a sequel and whatever. And starts talking about stuff like that and how all the characters, good amount of them survived in order to have a sequel. And we hear Billy's approach music and they realize that they are in the sequel. And Billy crashes through the glass doors of the hospital and the title appears. And then Max lunges at Billy and the movie ends. Who's the audience for this film? Because if your demographic is, is 
if you're going PG-13, then you're looking for people under the age of 17. How many of them have watched 80 slasher films? Your demographic is going to be like, it's going to be 1849 minimum. Minimum is 18 to 49. I think you could also 60 plus that if you wanted to. Or 50 plus. You could 50 plus that easily. Make it R. Give it good throwback stuff. Make it feel like a love letter to the people who grew up on this. By making it PG-13 in 2015, you're throwing it to people who have no idea what any of these films are that they're trying to reference and, and, and pay homage to. I mean, they go with the whole idea of there being the rules of the slasher film. Scream did it really well. Scream Scream is a parody. I mean, it's, it's more satirical than anything. But, you know, when Scream's original title was Scary Movie, and it was meant to kind of just be a piss take on the slasher genre, and then they make Scary Movie, which is like a really goofy version and a real parody, parody version of it. This is kind of something in between. But to me, it, it, it hits more parody. Because where Scream is still taken as a serious genre film, it's messed up, it's dark, it's fucked up. I mean, people get killed, the deaths are not tame. I mean, spoiler alert, we should all know this by now, but Drew Barrymore getting gutted in the first five minutes of the movie, and not just like gutted, but I mean gutted. Like, it's bad. That was shocking. But it got people's attention. Doing something like The Final Girls, the opening crash. Okay, I'll admit, a little shocking there, right? But you, you PG-13'd this. You could have kept it as a really dark comedy that was subverted all the expectations of an 80s slasher film. But they didn't. They, they went, it was like Sony went in there and wanted to make it as palatable as possible for the masses. And I think that's a mistake. I think that is a complete and utter mistake. Here, here are some of the films that they're referencing. Okay? This is why I don't understand it being PG-13. 1974's Black Christmas. With the character of Billy. Right? Billy Murphy. The Thing. From 1982 with the way the title card burns in. Friday the 13th. Pretty much Camp Bloodbath. I mean, we're almost hitting in the, like, Jason Lives territory, you know? Last Action Hero. Okay, granted, that is PG-13. Yeah, you can just make a bunch of stuff blow up in Last Action Hero and it kind of works. But it, it almost runs into the same issue the Last Action Hero does. Where, okay... Most of those action films that came out at the time were R, but some, you know, PG-13. Last Action Year, I think, ooh, man, that skirts the line. That skirts the line a lot, because I know a lot of people love that movie and then hate that movie, because it's it does everything it's supposed to, but then if it's a parody of R-rated action films, wouldn't it be in itself rated R? No, I don't know. So yes, it touches on Last Action Hero with the exact same plot of being trapped inside of a movie. I believe the way they got in, I believe the way that Austin O'Brien got into the screen in Last Action Hero makes a lot more sense with a magic ticket. 
than, hey, I took a machete and sliced open the screen, walked through, and now I'm trapped in this movie that's on a loop. Last Action Hero is not that bad. It's a pretty good movie, actually. Um, And another movie that it references is Nightmare on Elm Street from the characters of Nancy and Tina. So come on, guys. You're utilizing all these things. I guess I guess New Line would have let you go with the R stuff and taken out the family things, which I, I think you should have a combination of both. I think that having the mother-daughter plot and the character stuff is important. I mean, it's very important. You need to have stakes. The fact that the mom died, and now this is the way that she can kind of rekindle that relationship with her and she hasn't seen her in three years. I think there's something very important to be said about that. I think this movie could have really done a deep dive into it. Gone with something that is very psychological and it might be funny, but funny in a way where it wasn't meant to be. You know, it's like it would be very pitch black comedy, but I think it could be really good. That's the problem that I think this film ran into. It tried to appeal to everybody, but the slasher genre was never meant to appeal to everybody. And doing a parody of it, not meant to appeal... That That's like even a smaller demographic. You think that mainstream audiences are really going to jump on that? You'll get a few who probably would have never watched a slasher film to do it, or the ones who can't really handle the violence or the gore, but... You're not going to get repeat viewings in the way that you would if it were rated R. And you made this as a love letter to horror fans. And the fact that this was even written as a way for, for Josh Miller to get over his father's death... I feel like Sony did a complete disservice to him, to the director, to the cast, every single person involved with this film. Is it fun? Yeah, it's it's fun. It's a fun little film. It's not terrible. The thing that bothers me about this is this movie really had the potential to become cult classic, Cabin in the Woods type status you know a modern film that is considered like a classic now but the final girls came and went little no fanfare i've heard from some people they're like oh it's cute it's it's, it's all right that's pretty good it's a it's a solid seven out of ten i'd say yeah you're right it's a solid seven seven and a half out of ten maybe okay But there's a lot of other films out now. There's a lot of horror out there. And there's a lot of good... I mean, there's a lot of bad horror. There's a lot of really terrible genre films. But there's some really good ones out there, too. Some ones that are are willing to push the limits and take things further. If this had been an independent, independent film made in any other country than the United States, probably R, unrated violent enough that it needs to be but not you know maybe you would overdo it who knows if it was canadian sure this was made in the uk yeah i'm sure it'd be pretty brutal too they've gotten away with a lot of stuff lately and it would be funded by the government too so this budget they'd be less of an issue 
This is the problem with the studios, and this is the problem with the way that the studios run things. This is why I want to talk about this film. It's less about talking about the movie and just talking about the broken system. But now, you know, we're at a time where we can change that. We don't have to rely on a studio anymore. Because guess what? In today's day and age, films aren't going to be made the way that they used to be made. People are going to have to get creative. There will be a drought of content. So this is the time for everyone out there who has an idea, a good idea. Or fuck it, you know what? Even if you have a bad idea, sometimes bad ideas yield good products, you know? But go out there, raise money for a film, or you know what? If you don't have the money, just make it anyway, man. It doesn't matter. Some of the best movies I've seen have had no budget to them. It was just people cared enough to make it a reality. I mean, geez, Colin. Colin is a, is a British zombie film that was made for, I think they advertised it, it was, it was made for like 50 pound. I think it's about an hour long, hour 18 or something. A lot of people came together putting a lot of time, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, but dude, you made a movie for 50 pound. And it's not bad. It's not the best thing I've ever seen, but man, that's, I'd rather watch something like that than most of, I'd rather, let's put it this way. I'd rather watch Colin that was made for 50 pound than the new Fantasy Island that was made for like $5 million. Any day. Any day. Plus, Fantasy Island's PG-13 garbage. That, number one, it's Fantasy Island. Why'd you go horror? And if you are going to go horror and it's called Fantasy Island, come on, guys. R, over-the-top, ridiculousness. Make it where people are like, I don't even know what the hell I just saw. That was amazing and not what I expected. But instead, we're having these studios not take chances. Because they're scared and they don't want to lose money. Yet, in the long run, they end up losing even more money than if they had just said, you know what, we're going to make it our, we're going to just, we're going to push it. We're going to stand by this product and stand by this director and these writers because we trust their creativity and we don't need to jump in there and, and change it around and fix it. Because they don't. Otherwise, the producers should just make their own fucking movies. Become the director. If the studio wants to make a certain movie so bad and they don't like the director's vision and they don't like the writer's vision, then they need to get behind the camera and do it them damn selves. Because this is bullshit, man. You hire them to do something. You bring them in because you you like their vision. So go with their vision. Anyway, The Final Girls is a fun film. It's cute. It's got some cool moments to it. There's some moments where I'm like, man, this is really funny. Yup. You know, I could tell you a bunch of trivia about this film. Honestly, you can just check IMDb if you really want to look that stuff up. I mean, I, I've read even that the director fought hard for his take of the film. If the director's fighting for a take of the film, give it to him, man. And then you know what? They can live or die by that. But don't take the choice from them. Look, I would recommend it if you have never 
if you're new to the slasher genre, if you're new to any of this type of stuff, if you just want a fun movie that you can turn your brain off for for an hour and a half, sure. Um, that'll do it for this episode of Oh the Horror. Uh, you can find us at OhTheHorrorCast.com, at OhTheHorrorCast on, I think, Instagram, Twitter, any of those things. Not that we really post on there anyway. So you can find us there, as well as Spotify, iTunes, and anywhere else that you get your podcasts. Anyway, that'll do it for us on this episode of Oh The Horror. Until next time, I've been Rob Holmes. Look at me, Damien! Time to keep your appointment.